so happy to have everybody here. Thank you for coming out for this. We are super excited to welcome our guests this evening, Jason Jimenez. And Jason is the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. He's also a faculty member at Summit Ministries. And he arrived yesterday and we've had some, some awesome time with him already. I believe he has something very special prepared for us tonight. And we are just so excited to have you, Jason. Come on up whenever you're ready. And Jason's going to be talking about having challenging conversations in a cancel culture. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it. You guys hear me well? Is this good? No echo? Everybody's good? You're good in the back? Do I sound like very appealing? That you, somebody you want to listen to all night? Amen. You get a free book, dude, okay? <laughs> See, if you said that, I would have gave you a free book, but nobody, you just looked at me like I was weird. <laughs> anyway, well, it's great to be with you guys. My name is Jason Jimenez, and I've been married for about 20 years now, a little over 20 years. Got four kids, 18, 17, 13, and 10. So, of course, my life is busy. And they actually are coming back from Arizona right now. So when I go see them Monday, we haven't seen each other for eight days. So I'm really excited to see my family, okay? Been on the road lately teaching and training other churches, and so... Um, when um, several of the people here at the church had reached out to me and told me about your guys' community, it's a very pretty area. Not as pretty as Charlotte, North Carolina. And you guys have this weird accent. I've been hearing this. Like, you guys are wannabe people from Minnesota or something like that. You know what I mean? Who's, who's from Wisconsin or Minnesota originally? Okay, God bless you guys. I'm glad. Okay. But it's, it's a beautiful, it's been actually several years since I've been in Michigan, and we try to avoid liberal states like you guys, even though I live in one, so it's unavoidable. But that's why I try to stay in the South as much as I can. But it's a beautiful city, and I'm excited because tonight, starting our time with, with the church, is I'm going to be teaching you guys a little bit of a book I wrote last year, came out last October, almost a year this month with Baker books called Challenging Conversations. So what I'm gonna do tonight is I'm gonna be teaching you guys why we need to be having challenging conversations, how to do them effectively, the Christian way, if you will. Now, in my book, I cover nine controversial topics from divorce and remarriage to porn addiction to substance abuse to uh, issues r related to LGBT issues to alcoholism to racism to politics, abortion. So that book is available with a few other books that I wrote out there for your uh, reader, for the readerships out there. But tonight, I'm going to be focusing on just trying to encourage you guys individually and also as a couple about how you can start engaging in some of these controversial topics. Because I honestly believe, and I've been doing this for 25 years now, where um, we need more Christians who, who are unashamed, right, to jump into these conversations with respect and with love and with dignity. Because Jesus did it, right? And again, by the way, as we go before prayer, there's a time and in, 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 in place to have certain challenging conversations, right? Who has button pushers? Anybody in this room have a button pusher who knows how to push your buttons in your family? Anybody? Who's the button pusher in here right now? Oh, 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 so you guys all have a bunch of bullies, but you're nobody's willing to admit that you're a bully. We're going to have a challenging conversation right here, right now. See, we all admit that. I got a terrible person in my life. Are you terrible? No way. Who, would, who honestly would admit that you're a button pusher in this room? You like to push buttons. Okay, there we go. They, finally know, they got a little smirk like, hmm, that's me, right? Either way, the point is, 
we have people in our lives that can be quite difficult. Can I get an amen? Are you guys an amen church here? Amen. Amen. You will be tonight. That's right. So we all have difficult people. Now, are there certain subject matters that you avoid talking about? Yes, I do as well. Okay. So just because I've written on the stuff and I teach on the stuff does not mean that I got it all together and I'm a hundred percent right in, in every conversation I have. And I relish having challenging conversations. The reality is that it's, that's not true. Okay. So please understand the time that we have, I'm just going to be helping you as best I can. And then afterwards, we're going to open it up for Q and a time. I think there's already been some questions that had came in ahead of time, but also want to have time uh, that you guys can ask any type of questions that you may have related to challenging conversations. Uh, so before I pray, let me just give you a quick little background. So my background is philosophy, uh, theology, and apologetics. So if you have you know questions related to Bible issues, cultural issues, gender issues, sexual orientation issues, evolutionary things, science issues, those are things I tackle. And I come in churches like this or conferences. And as a Christian apologist, I'm articulating or making the case for Christianity. And in some cases, I'm going up against a particular movement or refutation that opposes the credibility of Christianity. And so what I'm doing in the term apologetics is to give a defense, right? I'm giving a vindication, okay? I'm trying to say this objection to Christianity does not hold up to, uh, it's not valid. And, and so then I will expose, if you will, either the faulty thinking, the inconsistencies of it, or the false worldview behind it. So I go around the world, mainly here in America, especially during COVID, obviously, because a lot of things have been shut down. And I help Christians like you guys be able to defend what you believe. And so tonight is going to be something special because it's not just about a particular subject. It's how you go about delivering whatever challenging conversation you need to have. Okay. So that's my goal to try to achieve with you guys um, tonight. If you're very godly and you love Jesus, you will buy my book afterwards, okay? So just keep that in mind, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we do ask and pray that you would bless this great church, Lord. Thank you for this, this, this wonderful city, Lord, the, the, just the hospitality, the great questions I've already had with, with many of the leadership here. And so we devote this time this evening. Thank you for the people who made time to be here. And we pray even people watching online and we pray for people who are coming here with burdens, Lord, they're having difficult conversations. There are things that they wanna know more about and they're just afraid. So Lord, help me anoint me to minister to my brothers and sisters here tonight. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So the key thing here really is speak the truth in love. And we're gonna be looking at a verse that comes um, from that. But but here, here we have it. How many of you guys would say in the culture today, it's very controversial. Like you can't say much because you're immediately gonna be labeled a racist or there's a bunch of minefields everywhere, okay? So we see, you know, two people going at it, whether that represents things on social media. I've seen, and even in the book, I I mention it to some degree of how rude and disrespectful Christians can even be to one another, so we are definitely, and especially for the young generation of millennials and Gen Z who are born from 2000 to 2015, who are now entering college, who are going to be the majority voting block by 2026, by the way, if they vote, if they show up and vote. 
But what we are seeing now, you guys, we are now in the era, whether you're a baby boomer, okay, and the first person, let's say, in this room that you voted for was Nixon or Carter or whatever, political politics now, the political uh, uh, landmine or the culture of politics today is based on tribalism. It's not based on party. It's based on an ideology that goes far deeper than what American politics has really seen in the last few decades. So identity in politics has become the, 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 the uh, center stone for this generation. So they don't look at a candidate or a particular party or even a certain voting block. They look at social justice issues, right? They look at causes that are helping people who feel marginalized. Now, there's some good in that, but the way in which you measure the good and how you go about fulfilling, right, the needs that need to be met in our society are two different things because the younger generation wants more socialism. The bigger the government, the more good we can do, okay? Is that a good thing? That's a challenging conversation. Some of you may agree, some of you may disagree, Okay, but when you look at that picture up there, you got racism, LGBT, mental illness, politics, social justice, abortion, religion. So what would you say if I if I looked at any one of you guys and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I believe people are born gay. And let's say let's say I'm your son. I'm your grand I'm your grandson. I went off to college, I went to Michigan State, came back, and I've been liberated. And the religion that I was raised in the United Methodist is very rigid, very oppressive. And I'm trashing how you were raised or how you raised me. And I'm saying, not only is Christianity wrong, but you're wrong for how you raised me. That's pretty offensive. But you're the one that has hate speech in your mouth because you're anti-whatever, fill in the blank. I'm liberated now. How would you respond? How would you respond to a coworker who says anybody who voted for Trump is a racist? And if you didn't vote for Obama because he was black, you're a racist. That's not a question, right? I'm making a statement directly to you, okay? Or I assume because you're older and you're white and you're religious, you're United Methodist, you voted for Trump. I just assume that. And you're a racist because I believe your religion is a, is, is a racist religion. How would you respond? Would you be offended by that? Would you unfriend that person on Facebook? Would you not talk to them anymore? What if they're across from you, they attend the same church you, you attend, they worship here on Sunday mornings? How would, you, how would you engage that person? Do you still respect that person? Would you yell at that person? Would you defend yourself and prove to them why you're wrong and why they're the racist and you're not a racist? Do you want to play that game with them? What if someone says, you have no right to tell a woman that she can't have an abortion. It's her body. It's her choice. Stay out of her womb, right? And I'm not trying to offend, but if you don't have a vagina, then you have no say in the matter. You're not a woman, right? So now truth has genders. Did you know that? How would you respond to somebody who says that? Or somebody says, well, listen, I personally would not have an abortion, okay? But who am I to say she can't have an abortion? I wouldn't do it personally. That's my personal preference. 
But I took her to the abortion clinic to have an abortion because I'm being supportive because that was the decision she made between her and God. Would you say anything? Would you disagree with that person? How many of you in this room would that make you feel very uncomfortable? How many of you guys have been in those situations and you've never said anything because it does make you really uncomfortable? What if I start arguing and say, look, in the scripture, it's very clear that the people Jesus helped were people who were marginalized. And so the people who are being marginalized today, we need to help them because that's what Jesus would have done. LGBTQ, and I, I go down the line. Critical race theory, okay? We need to be teaching more anti-racism. We need to be taking from people who have been privileged, a lot of you in this room, and we need to take from you to help people so that they can be they, they can be winners someday. They can be at the status that you're in currently sometime down the road. So they can steal from you to give to the poor. And that's justifiable. And you got to prove yourself because if you're really not a racist, you would do that. How would you respond to that type of a conversation or legislation? If one of your representatives is trying to advance reparations in your community, how would you guys respond to have a challenging conversation with a state rep. What if a pastor was talking like that? The point is, you guys, challenging conversations are a necessary evil. They are a way of life. Yet I'm asking you guys individually. You don't know me from Adam. I don't know uh, most of you guys in this room. But I would venture to guess that a lot of you guys have been in one of these situations a time or two. And the majority of you know that challenging conversations are a way of life, that we need to have them in marriages, over budget, what school we want our kids to go to. You know, there's a lot of compromise that we have sometimes in conversations. I don't want to get into this argument with you again. Why is it always going to lead to an argument? Okay. This is in all aspects. It's not just in these particular topics. But what we're finding, you guys, is that a lot of us generationally, I'm in my 40s, some of you guys are in your 50s, 60s, maybe even your 70s. The point is, is in all of our demographics, we're finding that Christians are not having challenging conversations on these particular topics. Oh, behind closed doors, you can speak your mind and you're, you, you, wanna, you, you do it winsomely. But one, once the doors are open, or some of you guys, you go to town and you embarrass yourself because you're very rude and how you articulate your positions uh, on social media, right? But it, in the end, what the world is seeing is they're seeing Christians who either are very bigoted and narrow-minded and restrictive or silence, nothing. I believe there is a different way. And hopefully tonight, we all leave here, no matter the age demographic that you're in, married, not married, United Methodist or whatever, that we will leave her saying, challenging conversations is a necessary evil. I may not like them, but I need to have more of them. And when I start entering in these conversations, whether it has to deal with critical race theory, whether it has to deal with sexual orientation, whether it has to deal with the Jesus, was Jesus just a moral teacher or was he more than that? I will jump into those conversations and do my best. I may not do it like Mike will do it or Pastor Paul does it or even Jason you know, that Mexican up there that taught me, you know, my church that Saturday night, right? It was the best, best night of my life. Amen? You may not do it like certain people, but that's not the point. The point is the world needs to hear from Christians. 
on these subjects. Now, there's a way to do it, okay? I'm not trying to sanction you guys to become a superhero where you're out there with a cape now. It says, I will conquer every challenging conversation in my life, and you go out there. I mean, if you want to do that, we got capes in the back for sale. But I'm not saying that you leave here like a superhero where you're just going to be the mo- this most in- you know, infectious Christian. You know what I mean? You're going to lead all these people to Christ and convince everybody that you know, Jesus was not you know, pro-LGBT or something. That's not my mission tonight. But I will say that we need to start understanding the people that God has placed in our life, difficult or not, and what they're talking about and how I need to jump into certain conversations. Again, not stepping on toes, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but do it in a way, remember, the third option, that will be honorable to the Lord. Now, let me read you guys this quote because this quote right here, I think says it all. This is the miracle of dialogue. It says, every man is a potential adversary, even those whom we love. Only through dialogue are we saved from this enmity toward one another. Now, who likes to have conversations and who likes to talk? Not even half of you guys. (laughs) The people who don't like to talk, can you still raise your hand and say, I don't like to talk? Very good, sir. (laughs) Can you explain why you raised your hand? I'm teasing. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. See, he's coming out. He's going to be a changed man. I'm telling you. But dialogue, you guys, is to love what blood is to the body. When the flow of blood stops, the body what dies. When dialogue stops, love dies, and resentment and hate are born. So let's pause. How many relationships have we had in life, or currently? Do we have where there is no dialogue? The dialogue has ceased. It's not just uncomfortable, it's what? It's it's hurtful. Now I've shared this with some of this with some of the staff as I spend some time with them. Um, I have a family member who I was very close with. We did a lot of stuff together. This family member left their spouse years ago for someone of the same sex and jumped around, jumped around with multiple relationships and finally married someone of the same sex. And there's zero dialogue now that we have between each other. Not because I don't want to have a relationship. That individual does not want to have a relationship. Okay? And that hurts. There is no dialogue. And if there's no dialogue in a relationship, there's no relationship. Okay? So when dialogue stops, love dies and resentment and hate are born. But dialogue can restore a dead relationship. Amen? That's true. It can restore a dead relationship. Indeed, this is the miracle of dialogue. It can bring a relationship into being, and it can bring into being, once again, a relationship that has died. Challenging conversations are a necessary evil. The people that you're closest to are people that you have what with? Challenging conversations. You deal with controversial things. You work through them. And I'm saying in part, the gospel is not being advanced in your sphere of influence per se because you're not willing to jump into uncomfortable situations. So here are the three excuses. So I want to, this is, this is the interaction part. Okay. Who, who's willing to just explain what 
excuse they tend to fall into and why. There's three on the board. I'm just not what? I'm not that smart, okay? I don't know a lot of stuff about the Bible. I don't know apologetics. If someone asked me, why am I a Christian? I was raised in the United Methodist. Like, that's like the best I could do possibly. They said, well, why do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible's true? Do you believe the Bible's trustworthy? What do you do with these objections? What about these discrepancies? What about the Council of Chalcedon? Didn't they rewrite the scripture? Didn't they hijack it? Didn't Paul and James, the half-brother of Jesus, didn't they go at war with each other and Paul won and he turned Christianity to be what we know today and James lost and he had a different version of his, his savior brother Jesus? What would you say to that? What, do you, what would you say to Richard Carrier who's having more, who's gaining more momentum, who has a position that's known as the alternate theory that Jesus never existed? And that's gaining a little bit more ground. Most people in the academic world on the liberal side do not deny that Jesus existed. Even the Jesus Seminar, where people like John Dominic Crossan and these other world-renowned scholars, they believe Jesus existed, but they believe in the end that he was torn off the cross, tossed to the side, and dogs ate his flesh. But they don't deny that Jesus existed. Now, was he a peasant? Was he illiterate? Uh, like uh, Reza Aslan talks about in the, in, the, in, the, in the Zealot book. You know, they throw these kind of things out there. But how would you respond? Remember of you guys lived through the Da Vinci Code era of Dan Brown. And when you, the problem is, okay, yes, it's a novel, but he didn't say that. Before you get to the title of the book and to the first chapter, he says, everything in this book is fact. And it was capitalized, F-A-C-T. That's when scholarship people like me had a problem with Dan Brown because he was writing a novel, but he said, all the research I did is fact. And so he intentionally wrote that book. I mean, the guy's a brilliant writer. Don't get me wrong, right? Guy could tell a story, but the guy's off base. Now, if you didn't know any better, you would just fought like a lot of people did. I didn't know that about the church and people fell for it. So the point is, I'm just not that smart. I don't know this kind of stuff. Here's the thing, you guys. We don't know everything. There are some things you're going to know that I don't know. You're going to know that I don't know. And there's things I know that you don't know. But that's not an excuse to not say anything on, on things related to our faith. So show of hands, who falls into the category that you don't, you don't have challenging conversations because you just don't think you're smart enough? That's kind of the excuse you fall into, okay? What about I get too defensive, like the moment someone like says something that I oppose, I got to just jump in there and I lay into them and I can get, I tend to get argumentative. You know, they may be as opinionative, but I'm going to, they're going to hear me roar type of thing. And then it, sometimes it can be a little embarrassing and you regret things that you said to them. How many of you guys have ever raised your voice to, to basically put people in their, in their place? Amy, was that, were you scratching your nose or was that? <laughs> just stand up, Amy. Okay. Let's apply. Good job, baby. Who gets uncomfortable? There's plenty of stuff. I just get uncomfortable. You may read. You're pretty educated. Um, you know, you're mellow. Like you don't get argumentative. Like you can carry a conversation, but it's just the awkwardness of it. Just, I just don't like being in that situation. I don't. I don't want people thinking that I'm judging them, that I think they're going to hell, or that I hate them because they don't believe what I believe. And so that just makes you feel uncomfortable, and you're kind of sweaty. You know what I mean? You're like perspiring. You know, you're like that weird person. You know what I mean? With a handkerchief that you have to pull out in their back pocket. Who's the, who's, who's the sweaty, awkward people in this room? Are you sweating right now? 
All right, so let me get the hot seat out real quick, and you got to sit in it. I'm teasing. She's like, I should never came. All right, so who would like to explain why you fall into one of those categories, just real briefly for the rest of us? Go ahead. Yeah. No, does, does it matter what it, the subject is? Just, uh, just in general, you just shut down. Anybody else can relate to that? Yeah. And, and so then you kind of feel stymied at that point. Right. Very good. Sometimes it is having those kind of back and forth conversations, right? You know what I mean? That you can actually carry a comprehensive, logical, succinct argument. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And we've all been there. We've all been there, right? What if I gave a wrong answer or I look like an idiot? It's like, you know, when the teacher calls on you and you don't know the answer. Um, could that cause someone not to believe, right? Or be convinced or persuaded if I just look like a gullible person? You know what I mean? And by the way, if, that's, if that ever does happen in the future, don't dodge it and pretend like you know what's going on when you don't. You don't like it when people do that to you. Just admit it. Just say, I don't know. I, I was not aware of that. I need to look into that. Would that be okay? The vast majority of people would be like, okay. They're not going to say, oh, I'm not going to be a Christian now because you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> if you knew the answer, I would have been baptized right now. <laughs> that doesn't happen like that, right? So I think sometimes we, we put too much weight on ourselves. And that's not the Christian life, by the way, amen? It's not, that's not the way God wants us to feel. Anybody else in one of the excuses why you fall into that category? Yes, ma'am. Exactly. I don't want to leave. I, yeah. How many people in our lives that are very dogmatic about things that if I went against them, that I would lose that relationship? And then we think through that. They say, is that really a relationship then? If I can't speak what I believe, do they really love me? That makes sense? I was just telling a group of people earlier, we bend over backwards a lot as Christians, I think too much. And turn the other cheek, we have abused that or taken that thing way out of context. Jesus never in scripture was a pushover. So sometimes we have to evaluate that and say, what does that even mean that if they, am I enabling this person? Am I avoiding really telling them the truth? And if I'm doing that, is that really love? And at some point, remember relationships, every relationship will be tested. And the sad reality is in order for me to be a enlightened person, I have to be for everything and be all inclusive. Is that really love? Do we, do we push open marriages? Is that really love where you have an open marriage? and you just go be with whoever you want. No, monogamous, right? Wholesome, honorable relationship before God is what God intended. 
So we don't say, well, if you really love me, you, you would let me have two other wives. First off, why would you want that? <laughs> Amen, men? <laughs> but it's like, you know, that we, we, we try to be all inclusive of things, but you know, in reality, it doesn't work that way. Okay. I tell people, like a lot of people who are like religious pluralists, I said, do you mix sodas together all the time? No, I like my Diet Coke. Well, if you're a religious plural, like if I live the way you're living, then everything just is mixed, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? is like, it's, it's incompatible, it's inconsistent. We can live that way spiritually, but we don't live that way practically. Well, that's not what Christianity teaches. So when we have these kind of conversations, it's okay, you guys, to have some pushback because if that person really loves you, they're gonna respect you when you actually speak your mind in love, Nobody wants to be taunted. Nobody wants to be belittled. Nobody wants to be yelled at. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so here's a, a, a very important chart that I want to draw your guys' attention to. Because when you look at those excuses, if you go back to these excuses, they ultimately boil down to the avoider or the aggressor. Okay? Ultimately, I'm not smart enough. I get too defensive or I get uncomfortable. They ultimately lead to the avoider or the aggressor. The church mainly has avoiders in it. Most churches, you guys, avoid the issue. Okay? And therefore, we don't get to the bottom of it. And if you don't get to the bottom of it, that, that relationship, because the dialogue is hindered, is not going to move forward. So think of any relationship you have right now. What I want you guys to understand is the third option, as I said earlier, it's being an advocator. Not of your truth. It's an advocator of God's truth. See, here's the thing. If I love God, as the Bible says in Matthew 22, 37, 38, I'm to love people, right? The first and second, they go hand in hand. I'm an advocator of God's truth. This is an avoider. An avoider enables that person, right? They do all the talking. They do all the billing. They do all the judging. They do all the, 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 the condemnation. You Christians, you Christians, you Christians. And we just say, and they beat me. Okay, you know, like punish me for being so oppressive, right? That's the Christian thing to do. No, it isn't. It isn't. Many of us who are avoiders are enabling people who are advancing false doctrine or false view. Does it work that way with your doctor? You have COVID. No, I don't. It's just a cold and then you die. <laughs> An avoider enables people. An avoider obviously is reluctant to get involved, to step in. Sadly, you guys, when you take the road of an avoider, you're not a leader. And you wonder why some of the relationships that we have in our lives, they're leading. They make the decisions and we do nothing. Why? Because you don't step in and speak the truth in love. You speak away the issue. Let's talk about sports, right? Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about his haircut. He needs a haircut, right? Like you, you speak away, you talk about something else because it gets too uncomfortable, or I don't know how to respond to this, or I don't want to talk about this right now. So I got to speak it away. So you actually are intentionally working overtime to avoid having a conversation that could lead to the gospel. Think about that. Is that the kind of Christian 
God has called you to be? Passive in your judgment, avoid questions. You're unproductive, you're uncomfortable, you're disinterested. Essentially, you're just saying, I don't want to talk about this right now. And that's what avoiders do. They say, I don't want to talk about this right now. This is making me feel uncomfortable. Stop. And sometimes maybe you need to stop. But at some point, you got to pick up that conversation again. But then you tell yourself, but if I do, then they're going to get offended and blah, blah, blah. And you have all this wishful thinking in your head. And what did you just do? You just psyched yourself out. And we set ourselves up for failure because we put up these scenarios, what if things, rather than in faith, we just do it. And most of the time, get this, it doesn't ever end up the way that we thought it would. Isn't that interesting? The aggressor is the opposite. They control, they're dominant, they speak down, they mock you when you challenge or when you question them. They're harsh in their judgment. They basically say, you don't know what you're talking about, right? They cut in. I tell people, if we don't like people cutting you off in, in, in traffic, do you like when you're talking and somebody cuts you off and then they start talking about what they want to talk about? Women, you got to stop doing that, okay? Anyway. <laughs> the advocator. This is where we want to be in all of our relationships, in our conversations. We want to exhort people. An advocator of God's truth, I talk about in the book, is a conversant Christian. So when I go on ESPN, like name an analyst that you guys like who kind of breaks it down for you, kind of knows what they're talking about. And please don't say Stephen A. Smith, okay? <laughs> who's, who's, a, who's a person? Somebody on TV. They just, they know what they're talking about. You go to that person because they're a voice of reason, a truth. You may not agree with them on everything, but they're pretty educated um, and they're very conversant on that particular subject. Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> and you know, he's got his own reality TV show. Anybody else? Wow, that's pretty, thank you for mentioning all these people, you guys. No, anything. Okay. Yeah. So, so you like, you like to go to him and be a big voice on certain topics, right? He's a pastor, you know, he's, he's a famous writer. The point is you guys, that's what you want people to see you as not an expert, but you're conversant, right? Now, raise your hand if we start to talk about food that you feel, you'd feel pretty confident having a conversation about food in general. But all of us would raise your hand, who loves food? Okay, so we all, all are, we are all experts, okay? I always tell people that, okay? I'm an expert in food because I know what, what I like. Um, well, okay, so the people who love food, what about art? If we talked about drawing or painting, who feels comfortable about that? Yeah? Music? Sports, the Bible, okay? So notice, what, what's another topic that you feel comfortable talking about? Politics? <laughs> Why'd you bring? Yeah, well, yeah, that's it, but it is, right? Politics? What? Early child education, that's specific, right? Farming? 
What else? Now, in those subjects, who's passionate about food or music? Like, you're, Are you passionate about something you know a lot about? And you know a lot about it because you're passionate about it. Guys, who's passionate about Jesus? What you believe. I hope all of you are. I can honestly tell you, and I grew up Catholic. Um, but listen, like I appreciate a lot of how I was raised and the Mexican side of the family, okay? I thought it was pretty cool that I can ask for forgiveness before I sinned, right? And all would be forgiven. He's like, oh, very good, okay, you know? A little, little weird there, right? I was like, why do I have this rosary? You know what I mean? What is this thing? I throw it out of my pocket, right? Um, but I appreciate some of the things that I learned. I don't toss it all out. I'm no longer practicing Catholic, not because I'm a bad Catholic. It's because I ultimately came to know Christ in a different way other than the Catholic Church, okay? But I love Jesus. I do what I do for a living because I love Jesus, therefore I love some of you. No, I'm teasing. I love, I love you guys, right? Except for Scott. I don't like him. He never lets me eat. But an advocator, you guys, is a person who asks questions. You're conversant. You're asking questions. You're kind of self-deprecating. You know, you admit that you don't know everything, so your self-judgment is not condescending like the aggressor. Or you're not passive in your judgment. Like, well, what say you? What do you think about same-sex marriage? Um, these, this popcorn's great, huh? You know what I mean? Let's go for a walk. Let's talk about flowers. Like, you can't be, like, awkward like that. You have to engage these things. There's a way to do it. Patient, you're productive in these conversations. Therefore, you're going to be productive in these relationships. And people are going to respect you for that. You guys, I have a lot of gay, atheist, religious, Muslim friends. I didn't describe one friend. I'm multiple people. They're just different walks of life. They're like, that's a, that's a mix right there, Jason. But an advocator is someone who says, hey, can you help me better understand your position? Why you believe in same-sex marriage? Why you believe people are born that way? Like, I find that very intriguing. I want to know. I want to know your backstory. We'll talk about that in a minute. So the three excuses ultimately lead to the avoider or the aggressor. What we're saying here in the church tonight is how can we be the middle one, the advocator? Well, I'm going to teach you guys three tactics, three tactics tonight of how you guys can start implementing being an advocator of God's truth. One, we're going to look at how you need to relate to people. Number two is how to investigate in the conversation, no matter the topic, no matter the person, no matter the place, doesn't matter. And number three is translate. Think of yourself like a translator. You're going to then review the conversation you have with this person. And there's going to be three key questions that you're going to ask yourself either personally, internally, but most importantly to the person at hand. Okay. So first, the reason why the advocator and everything I'm talking to you guys about does not come from my personal background it comes from scripture. So when I see scripture in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So if you and I are going to grow up in Christ, notice what the scripture says. One way that I grow in my faith is by doing what? Speaking the truth in love. So I don't just grow in my faith 
because I go to church. That probably offended some of you guys, right? But that's, you don't just grow in your faith because you go to church. We grow in our faith through trials. Meaning they're not like it. They come unexpectedly. We don't put on our calendar trials next Tuesday at two. They just happen. We grow, hopefully, Lord willing, right? We grow in our faith, James chapter one, first Peter chapter one, when we go through trials. We grow in our faith when we speak the truth in love because what happens is when we have those challenging conversations and there's pushback or they come back with certain questions and it's not making sense to them and it causes you, how many of you guys have been there? Then you go back and you do research or then you're calling certain so-and-so and then you get a prayer chain going. Hey, I'm gonna have that channel. I'm in that church. I'm giving an example. We reopened months back and... um there's a, a, one of our leaders, he sees me and he comes over and he says, hey, he's like, he's like can, can you just wait a second, you know, after church? Cause I, I gotta talk to you about my sister. I'm having, my sister's coming in town and you know, we don't see eye to eye. We haven't really talked a lot. You know, she's married with kids. I don't see my, my, my nephews and nieces much. I'm her bigger brother. And she's kind of looked at me as kind of like, you know, kind of a, an aggressive Christian where I'm very opinionated, big brother, always like, yo, you're always doing these wrong kind of stuff. And he's like, I read your book, Challenging Conversations. And he's like, I got a lot of questions, right? And I said, sure, no, no problem. So he and his wife afterwards are talking to me and it was very simple. He says, can you just help me relax? So when I have dinner with my, my sister, when she comes in, he's like, I did so many things wrong with her that when she sees me, I just dominate. He's big dude, he's big brother, he's very opinionative, right? And so I kind of scolded him. And he and his wife, we held him accountable. He had a great time. And even his sister recognized, she's like, man, there's kind of like, there's like less abrasiveness that comes with you. Because what he's always been trying to do is to get her back to follow Jesus. Well, how many of you guys are persuaded when somebody comes on your property, knocks on the door and they're selling a vacuum? You're like, I'm not interested. And like, no, you really need this vacuum. I could see that your floors are dirty. None of your business, get on with yourself, right? I'm gonna let the dog out. You know what I mean? And they kick the door down and they start vacuuming your floor, right? Oh, thanks, here's a thousand bucks. Like who would do that? Okay, good. Nobody would do that, but why do we do that to Jesus? Like with Jesus? Like we think like kicking the door down and like getting in their face and you're gonna accept Jesus and you're gonna love him, right? That doesn't work, but yet that's sometimes, my friend, this is his attitude. That's been his attitude. And he's realized the great thing is he's realized it's wrong. So when I say kind of scolding away is saying, hey, look, like you, you are looking for accountability, so we're gonna hold you accountable. That was kind of like the, the lesson there. And so I saw him and things went great and they're kind of building relationship. Of course, did they solve you know, world hung, hunger uh, in that one dinner conversation? No but it was a start and she knew that something had changed in him. Now, did he take time to apologize in that, during that dinner time? Yes. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Keep that in mind, okay? But we grow because we speak the truth in love. So here's the thing, my friends. A lot of you are not growing because you're not having these type of challenging conversations because they cause us to grow most of my living now, it seems like I go back, like if one of you guys asked me a question tonight, that even if I answered it and I thought, you know, that helped them, 
But then my mind starts going crazy and I have five other questions on top of that one particular question. I'll probably be up to one o'clock in the morning just researching it, right? Because I love God's truth and I wanna help people. And that helps me grow and to be more effective. The other verse I wanna share with you guys comes from Colossians chapter four, verse six. It says, let your speech always be what? Gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice, it doesn't say that you have to be an expert. It just says you have to be gracious and you have to have seasoned speech, if you will, of salt to preserve the person, to preserve the dialogue and the conversation. And notice it says that you may know how you ought to answer. There's a tone in the Greek that's mentioned here. It's not just about giving the right answer. It's the way in which you answer people's questions. So when you and I look at Ephesians 4, verse 15, when you and I look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, when you and I are striving then to be this conversant Christian, this advocator of God's truth, here are two objection, uh, objectives that I want to share with you guys tonight before we get into these three tactics. Number one, your objective is not to what? Or excuse me, your objective is to critique the other person, but not to what? To criticize. You can critique their position, their point of view. We do that all the time. We do that even over our, why my dryer is better than your dryer. Why you need to get an Instapot, right? To cook your chicken. You know, why, why you need to have an iPhone and not a Samsung. Like we, we could critique people's buying habits, right? Without, without criticizing the person. But the moment as a Christian, we start critiquing someone's point of view on something, they think we're criticizing them. And in some cases you are. So listen, you may disagree, you may disapprove, you may critique their position and not hold fast to it, does not mean that you are being critical of the person. Number two, Christians may reject a person's stance, but we are not called by God to reject the person. You can reject their stance. You can critique their stance. We're not to be critical. We're not to criticize and we're not to reject them as a person. How do we do that? The first thing is how to personalize the conversation. Now, who in this room is a very personable individual? Nobody. Great. This is, this is great. <laughs> Only one. You, give me a hug, dude. Come on. <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> You're personable. God bless you. <laughs> I tried to go for his wallet, but he already took off. But that's the way I make money. But being, being personable, you guys, here's what we have to do. So I don't, again, the person, the place, and the subject. That will vary. My friend with his sister, okay? Um, a liberal friend, a progressive friend an ultra, ultra conservative friend, you know, where everything's a conspiracy. I have a family member, and recently, um, my wife who was visiting family, as I've been traveling and speaking and stuff, she's like, she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, did you hear the story about some of your family members are over at so-and-so's house, and, and one of them was like, I'm gonna get vaccinated. 
And some of your family members are like, oh my goodness, no you're not. And one of them throws a napkin and gets all dramatic and starts crying, you know, because this person is going to be vaccinated and goes storming off. And this is my, by the way, this is my dad's dinner that uh, some of the family members were having for him for his birthday in September. I never heard this story, but I'm not surprised because my family's pretty messed up, okay? And, um, and so all of a sudden, one of the other family members is telling this other family member, well, you know that we believe the government is injecting nanobots in us through the vaccine, and if you, if you get it, you can't live with us because it's killing dogs and we don't want our dog to die. Why are you guys laughing at my family? Okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Listen, I'm not joking. Now, apparently this was such a compelling case where this family member decided not to be vaccinated because they didn't want their dog to die and be out of the house for three months and didn't know where they were going to go as a result of it, right? That's not a case, by the way. That was just basically saying, if you get the vaccine, you got to leave, Right. So one of the other family members stepped in there and said, this is, this is nonsense, okay? We got to stop with these conspiracy kind of stuff, you guys. This is not true. This is, this is unsubstantiated. If somebody wants to get vaccinated, they have a right to blah, blah, all that kind of stuff, right? You think that that was very reasonable and they should have listened and everything would have been peachy king and passed the ham. But it wasn't, okay? It, just, it, just, it was just a, it was a disastrous thing. My dad eventually with his wife, my stepmom, they left. And this person... Um, was stuck with this whole awkward scene with their kids and their oldest child stepped in there to protect their mother from this whole thing that was happening. And in the end, the people who believe in the nanobots and dogs dying because of this injection from the government and tracking your whereabouts, the person who said, stop this nonsense, um, had to apologize to the conspiracy theorists of my family. So the point I'm making is in that one situation is... Listen, this family member can believe all they want. They believe 9-11 was an inside job, okay? I tried to convince them that I was actually a robot. But the point is, um, well, it wasn't really their brother, but the point is, like, they won. Their position won. Because what you had on the, on the other side, you had an aggressor where people were like, you're stupid for believing this. Well, that caused the, the nanobot, pro-nanobot, right, believers um, that, no, you guys are misinformed. You guys are gullible. You're stupid. I'll send you, I'm going to text you a bunch of websites that prove this to be the case, right? And like, great, I'll, I'll stay up all night reading those. Okay, I'm looking forward to it, right? And the people that said, hey, 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 stop this. Let's just go on to, and celebrate, uh, you know, in this case, my dad, and have this meal, they had to apologize for being disrespectful to the conspiracy theorists. Now, when I survey even my own family and my wife is conveying this message and I'm, and I'm at the time thanking God that I live 2,300 miles away from these family members, um, I love them, I do. But sometimes family can be difficult, right? And sometimes you need your space. But when I survey the people that were at that dinner other than my dad, who's a very peacemaker, I love my father, we're very close. He lost his son, one of my brothers, two years ago to cancer. And so we really bonded even through this loss. But my dad is an avoider. He's always been. He's always been. And then these other family members are aggressors. And so guess what? The aggressors won that, that battle. And that's been typical in my family. Does that make sense? 
So when I say personalize the conversation, the problem with my family in this, you may relate to this, or even a personal relationship with a colleague or a friend, is we never get personal enough. So what we as a Christian need to do is I don't look at the subject matter at hand as the most important thing. Does that make sense? The most important thing is the person in front of me. Does that make sense? Is a person in front of me. So I set the tone. Parents, same thing in parenting. You set the tone. If you get all riled up, if you get all ticked off, if you're raising your voice, what are you teaching your kids? That you're a nut, right? And then they're going to get out of control. And that's how they start having, that's how they, they work out their emotions, right? Or we just, or we just say we're Irish or Italian. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Set the tone. The second thing you got to do is build rapport. So if I already know that this person I'm talking to um, believes that Jesus Christ, they believe Jesus Christ is not God. Okay. I believe he is. How do I build rapport to that person? What does that mean? What we just did. You, 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 you have to be, let's jump down. You have to be present and you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to go there. You got to put skin in the game with this person. You got to be real with this person. I'm not trying to prove them wrong. I'm not trying to correct them. I'm trying to understand them. I want this, I want this conversation to be personalized to where when we walk away that we, we both made in an investment and we both, as a result, when we make an investment, what do we want in return? A return. That's what I want that person to see me as. Someone they're willing to make an investment in and get a good return in the end. But in order for me to do that, I have to be careful what I say and I need to be careful how I say it. Now, if I know the person is... Um, a Jehovah's Witness. If I know the person is a gay Christian, if I know the person is a progressive Christian, and I don't know like everything about what Jehovah's Witness believes or what a progressive Christian believes or whatever the case may be, but their temperament is pretty level-headed. When I jump into this conversation, if they're pretty level-headed, mellow, chill, kind of cool, depending on the relationship, do you think that this is going to be a heated relationship? Do you think that we're going to be raising our voices? No. So notice what I just did. I set the tone. I want to build rapport. I want to connect with this person. I need to win them over. Guys, that's the biggest sales pitch of, of, all, of all time. That's emotional intelligence, which is more important, I believe, than the IQ, is the EQ. If I know how to control situations with people, particularly people that I know that are really spirited, you can have a spirited conversation without being mean-spirited. As you can tell with me, I'm very loud and passionate about stuff. I'm not a silent dude, okay? I love having debates with people. I relish it. The more awkward, the better. I thrive on awkward, uncomfortable feelings. Who else does? Admit it. You raise your hand. That's right. Now, what I don't want to do is make that person feel more uncomfortable. You have to personalize the conversation. 
You got to put skin in the game. If you don't do it, you'll never get to the second tactic. So if I build rapport, I be, I'm personal. I want to be their friend. That's it. We totally don't see eye to eye, political identity, tribalism, the whole bit. Okay? They got a bad taste in the mouth with the church, all that stuff. I'm not going to be offended by that. They can rub me the wrong way, sort of, whatever. I'm not going to let that interfere with me building rapport with this person. Okay? If they're a hugger and you're not a hugger, hug them. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay? If, for example, they feel more comfortable with you wearing a mask and you believe masks don't do anything, um, wear a mask. You set the tone to make them feel comfortable. When you open the door and you invited people over, you don't say, what are you doing here? Why'd you wear that? Why do you look like that? Right? Who does that? If you did, then you clearly have no friends. You don't belittle your guests at your house, do you? Do you? Is that the Michigan? Is that you guys do? You guys do that in Michigan? Yeah, I go to the South. I moved to the South and everyone's like, oh, the Southern people, Jason. Oh, because I came from Arizona. And so they're like, you, oh, they're on time. They're prompt. I mean, Southern hospitality. And I'm like, whoa, are you serious? And like, I literally was going to take a, like an etiquette class. Like I was so like, you know, Mexican in me. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is not the way I was raised. This is all, this is ridiculous. Right. So I was a little nervous. Well, the Southern hospitality is non-existent these days, okay? Let me tell you that. Everyone's late to church, you know what I mean? And they're all like, oh, bless his heart, you know what I mean? You're ripping on me, you know? Um, And I thought everybody would invite you over in the South. They don't do that anymore, right? They don't do that much anymore. But the point is that when you do have a guest come over, what what is your intent with this individual as to what? What? Welcome them. Make them feel comfortable. You are the host. You are extending hospitality. That's a lost art these days. That's what you need to be doing in conversations. I've been in so many conversations where I met with people even after events like this, and I'll treat them to coffee, okay? I'm just trying to win them over in a way to just kind of build rapport, okay? So now, if I've done that, I'm their friend, if you will, right? We're not BFFs, Okay? We fist pumped a little bit, a little, little hug, but we're friends. Let's now jump into the dialogue. Here's what we're going to do now. And number two is to investigate. I want to analyze the conversation. What that is, is I'm analyzing the person and the subject matter at hand. So what I'm doing is I'm listening intently to what they're saying based on what? Me understanding the differences that we share, how they came to this conclusion, because I'm asking probing questions. If I've already set the tone, I'm going to continue to maintain a tone of asking questions so that I can control the conversation so I'm getting information about them and about their past. What made them come to this decision? Why they voted this way? Why they think that um, every Christian is of the alt-right, right? Why they support Christian nationalism? Why they don't support Christian nationalism? Why they believe people are born gay? What evidence do they have to support that claim? Whatever the case may be. And what I oftentimes find is, oh, there's two things going on here. One, there is bad blood to some extent. They're hurt. Or on the other hand, they were influenced by someone and they idolize this person. This person is like a god. So what I can do is I can't make fun of this where they were hurt or step in and defend and be like, oh, you're just blowing things out of proportion. 
So you think that my hurt and pain that I went through is just blowing things out of proportion? What are they going to do? Let's talk some more. I want you to be my friend. And over here, if they're like, oh man, I love this person. This person mentored me and helped me. And I'm like, that person's an idiot. Why, why, why would you be following someone like that? That doesn't work either. You just insulted them. Recently, I had a atheist, actively gay, married to a man professor in Montana as one of my, he's one of, he follows me and stuff. And so one time he just reached out to me and he sent a message and I got, I got a hold of it. And uh, he says, um, hey, I just like the way you approach some things and I'd like for you to consider this, this, and this, and this. And I'm a process theist. And if you guys know what process theism is, that God changes, he evolves himself, he's not immutable. And, and he's just throwing all this kind of stuff out. And so I looked, I responded to the man. I'm thinking, hey, this guy's an atheist. He's, a pro, well, he's more of a process theist, but his epistemology is like from atheism. He's married to a man and he is a clergy person on campus and he does a Bible study with college students. He and I did a two-hour Zoom conversation together. Now, the reason he accepted the Zoom was for two reasons. One is he was already following me and responded to me on YouTube because he liked my tone and thought, this guy is very educated and he's not just making fun of process theists or atheists or gay people. And he respected that. And two, because I took the time to respond to him. We had a great conversation. I might bring him on in one of my podcasts and do an open debate with him and try to help people say, hey, this is how you can have an open debate respectfully with people. That, guys, is awesome. I thanked him. You know, as I'm sharing my story, I'm sharing the gospel. I wasn't just like, okay, sit down. I need to tell you about Jesus or you're going to go to hell. Like, I didn't do that to him. I just kind of just was naturally doing it. You know what I mean? And he didn't say anything like, wait, you're trying to scam me. You're trying to lead me to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was nothing like that. But I was doing this. I was understanding where we differed. I was admitting those things. I was asking questions. And then when things were kind of going down a path that, that I didn't feel comfortable with or that he was maybe getting a little like too emotional about, I made a, an adjustment and I turned it back to something else. That's what we need to be doing more of, you guys. That requires patience, which leads me to my last one. Number three is translate. Personalize the conversation analyze the conversation, now harmonize the conversation. So you're a friend, you're a journalist or an investigator, number two, analyzing. And the last one is you're like a translator. These are three key questions. When you guys wrap up any conversation with any person at any place, coffee shop, after church, in your living room, whatever, three questions you need to ask that individual as you wrap up. Number one is what did we learn today? I believe that a woman um, should not have an abortion. I think that that's a, that's a moral evil because I believe that a human life is in the womb. And so her constitutional rights should not override, you know, the moral good, okay? I believe that woman needs to be supported, loved and cared for, whether it be getting foster care, adoption, whatever the case may be, or helping get her educated so she actually keeps the child because let's say the reason she wants to have an abortion is because she was in a relationship that went south and she didn't think that she can raise this child on her own, okay? By the way, most of them don't ever deny that it's a, it's a living being in their womb. So what did we learn? Why are, why, what did we learn about your pro-choice position that's unique to you? And what did you learn about me tonight about being pro-life? Okay, that's it. 
The second question, where did we agree in there? So you'll see in my challenging conversation book, I do two premises and a conclusion. All human lives have value. The unborn are humans. Therefore, what? They have, they, the unborn has intrinsic value. So if all human beings have intrinsic value, and we know based on the science of embryology that a human life is in the womb, that human life, the unborn child or preborn child or fetus, whatever you want to refer to it as, even the beginning stages of it being a zygote, has intrinsic value. So if even with pro-choice people, and this is my tactic, because when I ask people, especially in the BLM era and critical race theory, do you believe every human life has value? Absolutely. I agree. You agree as pro-choice, I agree. Now, of course, the challenge now is, what about the unborn? Because if I could prove to you that the unborn is indeed human, and you said all humans have value, intrinsic value, that would then imply that the unborn child has intrinsic value, just like you and I do, right? So notice, where do we agree? And number two, where do we go from here? It's clear already before we had the conversation where we disagree. But I want the person to know that we actually had areas where we agreed. But where do we go from here? See, what happens most of the time, even in business meetings, by the way, we just, we're out. And we got to bring this thing to a close and we got to make an upfront contract. Hey, you give me 45 minutes of your time. I will pay for the lunch so we get that awkwardness out of the way so we don't split the bill. You know that I'm paying. You know, I'll pay, you pray type of thing. I got 45 minutes with you. Here's the three points that I want to discuss with you about that we need to clear up. So it's an upfront contract. You agree to it. The 45 minutes is up. And we basically say, okay, where do we go from here? Do we do a part two? Is there a part three down the road? Do you want to do the setting again? Do you want to do something somewhere else? That's what you throw out. If you personalize the conversation, if you analyzed it correctly, and you were harmonizing by translating how this all went, the vast majority of these people, whether they're family members of you, of yours, or a new acquaintance, most of the time they will say what to you? Yeah, I'd like to further this. Because what did you just show them? That you're an advocate of God's truth. You weren't willing to avoid difficult things. You're willing to go there with him. You're not an aggressor. You weren't interrupting them. You weren't calling them names. You weren't criticizing them. You may have been critiquing them along the way. Well, wait a second. But I thought you believe this. Like, can you help me understand this? That's not really making sense. I need clarification. So when you wrap this thing up, you're speaking back to them what they shared with you. And anytime you could do that, especially men who are husbands back to their wives. Are you listening to me? Yes, this is what you said. And they're able to tell you everything you said. What does that convey to you? They're listening because you're important to them. But what younger people are getting from us are either silence or you guys are going to burn in hell because you're liberals or something like that, right? And we don't listen to them. Now, obviously, if you're out there and you're burning down buildings, I'm not going to listen to you, <laughs> Okay. If you're gonna, if I'm sitting there eating dinner with my wife and you come by with a group of people and you're protesting about something and you think you could just grab, you know, my beverage and start drinking out of it, I'm, I'm not gonna respect that person and what they're doing. And if I don't take a knee right then and there, I'm then a racist, that's not, a, that's not having a cordial conversation. You're belittling that person. Those are bully tactics. That's totalitarianism. 
right? I'd rather get beat up than just say, take a knee and just do whatever they're telling me to do so I can continue to eat my burger. You know what I'm saying? So too often we take a knee without really saying, you know what? No, I'm taking a stand for something far greater than this little movement. And I'm not gonna let your bully tactics to silence me or to undermine me, right? So that is it in a nutshell, you guys. That's how you can be an advocator, not the aggressor or not the avoider to be an advocator. We need people who exhort one another. I've had many people who have vented, shared, vomited their stuff. And I just say, hey, you know what? I appreciate what you share with me. I may not fully understand all that you're going through. I'm processing that right now. But the fact that you're willing to tell me what you told me, I, I, I'm thankful that I can be a person that you can count on. I don't know how to move forward with this. Is there anything you may want me to do? And oftentimes they're like, I, I don't know. I just, I just felt comfortable telling you. I said, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you felt comfortable with me and I, I want to continue to have this relationship with you and then end it there, right? End it there. They're a little bit vulnerable. They're a little bit you know, talkative about some things and then they're kind of wishing they didn't. You got to just end it there and say, hey, I'd like to be there for you. Let me pray for you and let's carry this conversation. Let's have this relationship. Let's further this relationship. And I'm telling you guys, when you follow this, and these, these three tactics, I guarantee your faith will grow, your relationships will grow, and you're gonna be a kind of person that more people are gonna be turning to and not just asking your opinion, but they're gonna see a leadership quality in you. They're gonna respect you, even though they could be far left from you or even far ultra right from you, they're gonna respect you because you're willing to respect them. Amen? Amen. 